Welcome to Jason the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Paul McCoy. And I'm Sean Hill. Now we are diving into just a topic that people have a few opinions about, which is David Lynch's work on Twin Peaks, specifically the season one and two of the TV show and Fire Walk With Me. And we're just going to jump in because uh, if you're listening to this, you've probably seen Twin Peaks and probably listened or heard a hundred other videos and podcasts where we where folks talk about Twin Peaks. So you were saying, Laura, as a Jesus figure. Yeah, I'm saying if we look at the big picture, what's Laura's purpose? The end of Firewalk with me, right, after everything that just that happened to her and Paul you said it was just brutal watching all of that suffering for two hours she ends up with these tears like like the whole movie the performances in the movie are all about Cheryl Lee's face and what she realizes non-verbally in each scene like when Leland has a moment where Bob isn't in control and he just comes in her room and tells her he loves her. And she knows he means it. And then she can't, how do you reconcile that with he'll be back in uh, next the next night raping you in, in your sleep? Same body, different mind. And Cheryl Lee shows that. And she shows why she's depressed, why she's using drugs, why she has orgies in the woods, why she has four boyfriends. And did, did we say spoiler alert? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we need to worry about that. With we, we, yeah. we, we said everybody already knows what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And the most recent iteration is six years old now. Yeah. But, um, Dale is there protecting her and comforting her at the end in the lodge when she sees the angel and she's crying tears of joy because she saved her soul. She did not put on the ring. She, her, her body died, but Laura is still this redemptive, positive figure who survived being placed in an impossible situation her entire life. So and she she suffered for us. She suffered for us because in in the return, they they literally positioned the golden orb of Laura's yep. face as the counter to the nuclear explosion. Yeah. In the Midwest. That opened up evil and Laura is still good. Yeah, we'll need to we need to wait and talk about the return at another time. That's, that's another thing where it's just so much stuff, so much stuff going on. Agreed. And it's it's one of the things that struck me rewatching these was like we I said before we started recording how much that's in the return and in Fire Walk with me, uh, or was in the return was set up in Firewalk with me and the second season of of Twin Peaks. Uh, they didn't have to go back and change anything to re, you know, kind of readjust the timeline or anything. It's just picking up right where that left off. So it's just, I was I was a little bit stunned. 
watching the season two finale. But let's. I like the. I like the. I like the Jesus Christ imagery. The, that idea. And like 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 you said, in the return, it 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 fleshes out all of these 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 things. I think at the time when the show was running and when they did the movie, I don't know. I don't know. Well, they did have her redeemed, like you said, but I don't know if they really positioned her fully as that counter to the evil. Uh, but they did say that, that the well, you know, damn it, I agree. <laughs> you, you got me. You won me I, over. I, yeah, that's it. Well, I, I, mean, I gotta say, it. like when I saw the the show and the movie, I saw her as a victim of the evil. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I felt like she was uh kind of her whole personality was transformed by the evil that was part of her life right uh and then yeah i think i've kind of evolved my thinking since then but what i keep coming back to is this idea of laura as the pleaser it's, um it's, there's some criticism that she doesn't really have an identity because she's always doing things for other people but i think it's the opposite i think her identity is in some ways being the person other people want her to be so she's the person who brings books to Harold Smith and she's the friend to uh, Donna and she's the rival to her boyfriends. And she's, you know, all, all these different people as a way of like, because she wants to please others because she wants to kind of play these roles where she can be seen as someone who's not, not, not just someone who's not a victim, but not someone who's like uh, your ally going through life. So as a way of minimizing the uh, pain that's coming her way, kind of a human level. Yeah, that but that that goes back to everything we said about uh, Blue Velvet too. You know, but and all the characters in Twin Peaks are living a double life. You know, they all are doing something on the surface that uh, that everybody sees. If you just drive by and stop at the diner, you know, you see that surface level. But all of them have secrets and hidden things going on. I mean, I mean, Laura's the most, the biggest mystery, of course. But I mean, everybody. I mean, you got a high school football player who's you know buying cocaine from Canada and selling cocaine to people. You've got uh, the well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody's just got a secret. Everybody's got something going on. Everybody's got secret relationships, and then in comes Agent Cooper and starts uncovering everything. It's his own kind of secret life, but it's this different sort of secret life. It's like intellectual secret life. Yeah, he's he's a fascinating character. Just from the very beginning, he's just, and I think I think they said uh, Lynch, you know, Mark Frost, the co-creator, did most of, a lot of the structure work and a lot of the, a fair chunk of the writing, but David Lynch wrote all of the Cooper stuff. So he would be when when the things that Cooper says are things that David Lynch says, walking around doing, doing <laughs> making his movies and shit. I didn't know so that. that's that made me laugh, and I can see that. He's Just, always got a stand-in for himself in mm -hmm. the movie, and Kyle is a repeated one. Yeah, he definitely felt that there's a there's a mutual back and forth with him and Kyle. We were talking about you. that too with him, him and Kyle and Laura Dern are like three sides of this triangle where they're just so perfectly 
like in tune with each other. Of course, we'll see here in the return. What I was going to say with Paul's comment is like watching the pilot, like it is like it's beautiful, but it's kind of like intense for the first to 40 minutes or so. And then Cooper comes on the screen and all of a sudden the, the, the pilot takes on this whole different feel. Like he just breaks through the rain and the fog and the, the depression and just brings this other element. He's this extremely, well, of course he is this disruptive element inside of the town who in a way unleashes people to, to reveal their secrets or maybe uh, transcend their secrets. I don't know. Yeah, he, he's, come out. he's got that transcendental meditation approach to, to, to crime solving. Uh, so yeah, he is he is Lynch. And he's he's so excited about pie and trees. Yeah. He want he wants an affordable, reasonably priced lodging, uh, which of course turns out to be a great rate at the most expensive hotel in town. Uh, and he he's very adept at discerning who he can trust and who he can't. So he he's not oppositional to Perry Truman. They become right. allies quickly. And even though Truman's you know doesn't quite understand his methodology which is the opposite of Firewalk With Me, where Chester Desmond knows because of their psychic uh, seer they consult that in that little town, that sheriff's office is going to be corrupt and give him nothing but trouble. Yeah. But the Twin Peaks sheriff's office is not a negative place. It's a positive place. Yeah. It's surprisingly positive. It's like the only... Is, is, is it the only pure place? Nobody there has secrets no they're the only ones who aren't really i mean except for sheriffs having an affair with uh whatever her name is josie but i don't know if that's really is that secret or is it just on the down low kind of thing well i mean she she's she's not they're not married to anybody else Right. right she's a widow right but it's something when the owner of the mill is having an affair with the sheriff. Yeah. So yeah, it's more like on the down low, but but they don't really hide it well. People know about it. Yeah. And yeah. you got Coop, Coop actually says, How long have you been dating her? And how long have you been sleeping with her? He says. Yeah. And Harry says, uh, it's been just like eight weeks or so. Um, but she lost her husband over a year ago and I don't have anybody. So yeah, it's not really a secret. It's more just like but yeah. no, of course, a lie. And Harry's like, how'd you know? And Coop's yeah. like, body language. <laughs> I can just read anybody's body language 100% accurately. Nope. He's good at that. And then, <laughs> but then you've got, you know, you've got everybody else in the sheriff. You've got Hawk and uh, uh, Andy. Uh, Andy. And Andy's as pure as it can yeah. get. Andy yeah. and Lucy, man, they annoy the hell out of me. <laughs> I I just I can't I can't handle Andy and Lucy, and I've never well, I've, I've never been able to going back and watching it again. They just they annoyed the hell out of me every time they were on screen. They annoyed the hell out of me in the return, especially with Shia LaBeouf as her as their son. I was just like God, and they just 
I wanted them gone, but I understand the function, their function, but, oh man, it was just, well, uh, you know, a bridge too far for me. You must've been happy when Albert showed up then. Because mm. Albert called them all idiots to their face over and over. See, he, he was annoying in a, in a different way. <laughs> But, you know, and he was just unnecessarily mean. So it's like they're unnecessarily nice and then unnecessarily mean. Uh, both, both, they're both ends of the spectrum. Well, it's partially a sitcom, you know? Yeah. It's, it's this weird hybrid TV show that exaggeration is part of it. Yeah. What did they say? They, uh, they were inspired mostly by Peyton Place and mm -hmm. then, and then the other late night dramas of the of the time yeah they were they were the soap opera element one yeah. of them right because she ends up having another lover and not being sure who the father is of her baby yeah oh talk she, about annoying characters by the way oh richard yeah, like rich, dick. rich dick tremaine yeah <laughs> with with his cigarette department store uh tailor and men's clothing expert <laughs> they picked the perfect guy for that though that actor is a so is a soap actor and he always plays that guy obsequious pretentious over quaff okay so i was right to hate him <laughs> yeah he's been on general hospital and bold and the beautiful okay <laughs> but i thought i mean he's funny it's it's, it's a funny. comedy shtick. Yeah, and the bit where where um, Lucy confronts him and and uh, it is the morning <laughs> where Lucy confronts him and Andy and they were like on the table together. I don't care who the father is. I want to know that someone's going to support him. Like, yeah, you just feel like the kind of funny tension between them. But yeah, I got I got kind of annoyed by both of them too. And like the especially the scene in in season two episode one where Andy accidentally steps on the board and then parades oh. around like a marionette like for yeah. way too long uncomfortably long scene yeah yeah but that uncomfortably long is Lynch's dream space to be in right literally yeah. what how my mind went actually Sean is like this is really annoying this is going on too long it went from funny to weird to funny to really like grading on you like oh this is lynch doing lynch yeah yeah like when uh you know in the pilot when uh sarah realizes laura's dead on the phone and the phone is dropped we spend like half an hour trailing down the phone cord to yeah. get to the speaker of her going oh See, I, that worked for me, though, because that was, you know, that was the trauma that was that was really emphasizing just the impact of that, where the Andy walking around was just slapstick, stupid, stupidness. Well, <laughs> I mean, I mean, and you've also got Lucy going, I'm transferring the call to you. It's mm -hmm. in the red phone that's blinking, not the one by the potted plant, but the one by the door to the bathroom. And she keeps it's like everybody knows where the phone is yeah again that's one of the things that really just annoyed me i i think it's part of their charm mm. i can watch them forever i also i don't know about lucy actress's career but i think 
that's like the only thing the Andy actor ever did. Mm. And, you know, it, it, half of the cast seemed like amateurs that Lynch just put on the screen. And he does that, you know, he likes the charm of certain people. Yeah. Other people, he likes the charm of kind of like deflating them a little bit. Like, I really enjoyed how Kiefer Sutherland in the movie is just this kind of oblivious kind of guy. This this total like geeky sort of scientist guy. Yeah. When he's his, all his so much of his movie persona is about you know being this kind of uh, fun weirdo, I guess. A cool vampire. Yeah. So playing against type. Well, he 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 had Chris Isaac to react off of, right? And Chris yeah. Isaac is doing very low-key, cool dude. And so Kiefer went 100% character moment. I, I really feel that was like, you think my father's a character actor? Look what I could do. <laughs> like, he just embedded himself in all the quirks of that guy. And he kind of started leaning that way. I, I haven't looked at his his career, but uh, I mean, after this, I guess uh, Dark City. He's he's a weird scientist in Dark City too, and that's ninety nine. So I mean, like, was this like the start of a of a diversion in his career path away from those kind of cool cool characters? Well, not if you count TV, because then there's twenty four, and he's like. Tom Cruise. Well, that's yeah, but that's like five years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like the '90s. What was he doing in the '90s? Right-wing nasty show. To that show. The more I think about, it, the more I hate Twenty Twenty Four. Really? Yeah. Well, it's like he did. Um, I I don't know a lot of these movies. Breakup, Ground Control, Woman Wanted. After Alice, I don't know any of these movies. After Alice, he's a washed-up detective who discovers his own psychic abilities. Um, yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Went into oh, like a deep dive way. into his career. Yeah, he really way. wasn't doing anything for a long time. Uh, no, so 24 is, is just... I, I like the reading of 24 as being like this take on right-wing uh, fear at post-9-11 and how torture is this way that you can always derive benefit from it and becomes this right-wing apologistic show about how America is constantly terrorized by... Uh, by terrorists coming over who we don't really fully understand. It's a, it was fun enough when I watched it originally, but I just find it kind of tough now. Yeah, and in retrospect, real I can see that. At the time, I, I enjoyed it at least the first season or two for the mainly for the gimmick, you know, the every yeah. hour is an hour or whatever. But yeah, yeah, uh, we. Yeah, the real-time action was the draw. It was just, it was a thrilling way to do a TV show with the ticking clock. And that brings us back to Twin Peaks. 
How yeah, sorry, we should go off on a tangent for something that's like got so much going on here. So go ahead. Twin Peaks does the exact opposite of that. You know, it it the draw is the fact that there is there's a there's a the the idea of a ticking clock, but there's actually no real, you know, no real movement uh on the actual murder investigation. I, that's one of the things that that I really appreciated about it when, when back when it first aired. I was I watched it when it first aired, uh, and the fact that that Lynch and Frost had no intention of finding the killer; <laughs> they were just going to have the murder slowly recede into the background further and further until it was just we're just entwined in all of these lives and all these other secrets and mysteries. But the studio had other plans and basically forced them to uh, come up with a killer and reveal a killer. Um, should we talk about uh, Lynch's, what Lynch is actually doing film-wise and TV-wise during this time? Because, I mean, he he really steps away from the show. Uh, he, he direct- another major project happening at the same time. Yeah, yeah, uh, which we'll, I guess we'll talk about next time. Um, wild at heart so he he they they developed it they wrote it and then he directed the pilot in the first episode and the third episode where we get the introduction of the red room and and all of that was was that the episode that that bob appeared first or was that did he show up in the second do we know well theoretically he's in the pilot because we see his face in the mirror behind uh sarah palmer Ah, okay. I was thinking of the scene where her mother, you know, looks and sees him and starts screaming. Sees yeah. him in her, I guess in her memory. I think that's the head. first. I think it's the first scene with him formally yeah. in it. Yeah. But so he directed the first one and the third one, and then he kind of walked away to go do Wild at Heart, and came back to do the pilot of, or the not the pilot, the first episode of set the second season. And from what he said, it's like he he goes away, and when he comes back, he sees all where all the stuff is gone, and has to try to make sense of it, and just kind of picks and chooses what he wants to emphasize, and then twists it around into his direction, and then walks away and lets them all play with the toys again and do what they want. Uh, I think he was involved with the the as like showrunner kind of position. At least on season two, I know. I think I don't think he wrote any of season two. Uh, Frost was really the main emphasis to keep the story, keep it all going, especially after uh, after they revealed the killer and caught him. Yeah, I think that's episode seven of season two is where we, the audience, discovers that uh, Leland is Bob, and Leland mm-hmm. is the one who's been raping her and molesting her and killing every killing her and doing all the horrible shit that's basically just turned everything upside down but he doesn't even know and that's that's the big that's the big thing that i that he brought to it i think i mean i think they knew he was going to be like a split personality but i really think it was lynch's influence that made him not just a split personality but an 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 embodiment of evil as in the form of Bob. Um, and then he left, I guess he influenced him on the actual capture because they brought up all of the stuff that comes up in Fire Walk With Me about her not, 
about the evil wanting her and her rejecting it in the end. And that's why he had to kill her because she wouldn't accept the evil into her. And so they established that right there in episode nine. And then he doesn't do anything for the rest of the season for the rest of it until no, I guess he did. He did like one other episode before that, I think. Uh, and then he comes back for the finale of the second season and has all this other stuff that he has to bring, you know, tie together and kind of weave back. I didn't go through and do a full rewatch of season two. I've, I've never done a full rewatch of season two. Um, but, and I know everybody, most the majority of people say it loses its path after they discover who killed Laura. But, you know, damn it, I love all that, all the, the Black Lodge stuff and the, uh, what was his name? The his his uh, his arch nemesis, Wyndham Earl. Earl. Wyndham Earl. Wyndham Earl like is like Moriarty. Yeah, he's like uh, he's like straight out of a, a Grant Morrison comic. Yeah, he's he, he's the the alter. He, he's the exact opposite of Coop, and I just thought it was great having a character like that, and then especially with the role that he plays, you know, in the finale. And bringing up, you know, I, I having all the backstory for Cooper that you know nobody they hadn't even come up with in the, when they first started it, but having him having this crazy first partner who he had an affair with with Wyndham's wife, and so he killed her, and she died in Coop's arms, and all of this stuff, and it's like, where did <laughs> where was all of that? You know, they, they just had to come up with that, and I I kind of liked it. I didn't care for any of the other backstories in the second half of the season. Uh, there was really nothing in there that caught my attention, but I loved the the conflict between the two of them. Like you said, Sherlock and Moriarty. So I guess, I, I don't know if that's heretical to Twin Peaks fans, since Lynch didn't really have much to do with that. But I don't know. Well, Lynch... Lynch co-wrote the first three episodes of one, and he only co-wrote the 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 first episode of season two. Right. He, but he didn't. He didn't even write the the final the finale. Right. He just directed it. Yeah. So so a lot of the stuff is Mark Heat or Mark Frost. A lot of it's um, Mark Frost and Robert Ingalls. Yeah. And uh, but you know he knows what to do with Wyndham Earl when he gets him. Mm-hmm. David Lynch, because <laughs> Wyndham Wright wants Cooper's soul. Right. Give, give me your soul to save Annie, and Annie is the surrogate for Caroline, who's already dead. Who they had to introduce because the plot line of uh, Agent Cooper and um, Audrey Horn was a bit too uh, pedo for the network yeah so yeah because she they were really building her up to be the love interest and then season two gets going and somebody upstairs realized wait a minute she's like what 17 (laughs) she's in high school she's still a high school student you we can't do this we've got to pivot isn't and what who did they bring in still they still put her through uh a drug addiction in a whorehouse though yeah that, yeah. He, that he has to rescue her from but yeah. she insists that she never let anybody actually touch her while she was there 
Right. She was just trying to get info on her father. She has an argument with Blackie about not doing enough. Where she refused to do too much. Right. Go over that like, line. You'll do whatever I tell you to do. Did they was Billy Zane her her forced love interest after? But he's he's old just as old too, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But then they they did bring they did bring in Heather Graham to play uh Annie, who becomes Cooper's love interest, and therefore the target of Wyndham Earl. And who is Norma's sister. Oh yeah. Oh, that's right. See that's see that's part of the stuff that I just kind of skipped over. I, I, I was trying I, to remember who she was when we when I saw her in twenty two. Yes, yeah, I skipped from she, the from the reveal to the to the last episode. Me too. Yeah, just later. She she works at the diner. She's in a waitress outfit sometimes. Uh, she helped she helped Norma at the diner. And we you know we have the whole story with Norma's husband back from jail. Yeah. And Norma's right. mother, who's hypercritical, <laughs> like. And what about Nadine and Big Ed too? See now, they're they're a couple that I love, even though they're also on that kind of cringy. They've got that cringy element, but I I really enjoyed their characters, especially the first season. Second season, when she comes out of the coma and thinks she's still in high school, that was really tiresome this is why yeah this is why i just like the second half of that season yeah, yeah. Well, they, oh. they also have horror horror movie cred right because they were the people under the stairs yeah they were the the couple the the ron and nancy reagan surrogates in people under the stairs which that that really helped bring me around so yeah, and, and and they're both very good actors actually they they yeah. were great in the return the way that the way that that story developed in the return yeah i was going to yeah. mention that i'm going to have to i'm going to have to revisit that I in really its entirety how she finally finds who she is yeah dr jacoby and she gets this realization <laughs> dr what happens to dr jacoby so funny too dr jacoby's golden evil right wing podcast <laughs> yeah his golden shovel so you can shovel the shit i just watched it last month so it's all pretty fresh in my mind yeah, I'm gonna have to rewatch the whole thing. But Norma I... and Ed get their happy ending finally. Finally, after, after their whole lives years. pining for each other. Yeah, I wanted to mention uh, just when we're since we're mentioned Doctor Jacoby, uh, Russ Tamblin, fantastic, <laughs> fantastic performance, uh, and the I don't I don't know if it was in any of the episodes that I watched this time, but his. His 3D glasses, his blue and red lensed glasses, those make a those make a return in one of the seasons of Fringe. Uh, did did either of you watch Fringe? I totally watched all of Fringe. Yeah, there was one episode where, um, oh, it was what were the characters' names? The um, let me see here. Dr. Bishop, Walter Bishop, where he mentioned he's he 
he mentions uh, an old colleague of his let him borrow these glasses because it gives them some sort of <laughs> special special vision or oh, with, nice. uh, with machinery and i was like huh they're in they're the same all, universe fringe is in the twin peaks universe they're always trying to find the doppelgangers of fringe infiltrating <laughs> from the future and or alternate realities <laughs> so that makes yeah, sense that, that they'd be yeah. open to that yeah yeah and I don't know if I picked up on it when I was watching Prince, but you're right. Dr. Jacoby is a colleague. <laughs> yeah, he would be. I mean, it makes sense. And yeah, Russ Tamlin is, is, is an, I mean, he's basically a movie star, right? So he's, he knows, he, he takes that character a thousand different nuances in every scene. Mm hmm. It just feels like there's a level of like improvisation to that character or playfulness to the way he created that character, where he's just like obviously just having so much fun from the fish ties to the glasses to the uh to the way to this office with the coconuts and stuff. Yeah, he, know, hides, palm he trees. hides he hides the necklace in the in the coconut. He tries to get in on Cooper's investigation, and Cooper's like, Why would I let you what are you doing? Are you a policeman? No, get out of here. But it turns out he's got parts of Laura's diary. Yeah. And those audio tapes. And all those tapes she made. And he knew more about what she was doing than anybody. Yeah, but, but nobody knew that she was seeing him. And so nobody knew to ask. So that's that was the thing. She was seeing him in secret. And he still got attacked and almost died. Yeah. Secrets inside of secrets inside of secrets. And again, like with Blue Velvet, evil could just pop up at any moment. Anything can happen. And it's um, out of our control, which is the yeah. most terrifying part of it. The worst things, arguably, I guess, happen to the bad people. Like Shelly and Bobby kind of make it through everything. They're just greedy. But Leo gets tortured, gets his mind damaged, gets put with a cage of spiders on his head. <laughs> like like horrible fate after horrible fate. That he is himself a murderer and a criminal mm -hmm. and a wife abuser. And Audrey dares trouble, but doesn't ever actually really betray any. Yeah, she kind of skates away from the problems she creates for herself. And part of that is her entitlement. She's the rich, she's the wealthiest guy in town's daughter, and she, she gets what she wants, as she tells everyone. But she's still trying to figure out why her father is such a bad person. And then he's oh. practically redeemed by the end of everything. Is which he? is weird. Well, I mean, he's, he, he's, you know, he's cleared of the murders. He, he's still in business. Uh, you know, and then finally when come to the return, he's still running the hotel. Everything is still like it was. 
but he goes on that making amendments arc where he ruins Donna's life. Yeah. <laughs> where he makes the doctor attack him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where his daughter fighting whatever he's doing with Ghostwood might have sacrificed herself in a bomb explosion in the bank. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I was right. I was about to ask. I couldn't remember what what how did she end up? Oh yeah. The bank blew up. It's like what the hell? Yeah, and the and the guy, the the missing Josie's husband who wasn't dead or whatever that story was. Yeah. Opens the bank vault and he literally goes, Oh shit. <laughs> like if you think about that final episode, every single thing in it is like Lynch saying, You are gonna give me a sequel because I am in I'm having five cliffhangers. Yeah, well, that's that was yeah. that was the thing with the first season too. I I skipped. I watched just the episodes that Lynch directed, since this is a Lynch podcast. Um, and I started to watch the season two opener, and everything was just so bizarre and crazy. I had no idea what was going on. I had to go back and watch the finale of season one, which Mark Frost directed. Um, and so I had to go back and watch that just to see what was going on, why Nadine's in a coma, you know, where where everybody is, why Cooper got shot, right? That was the opening with him laying in the floor, bleeding. Yeah, yeah, he got oh, shot in his hotel seen. room. Yeah, and I was and just like, I could not remember any of that. So I had to watch that one again. Was it Josie who shot him? Uh, Do we find that out eventually? It was just a person wrapped in dressed in black. Yeah. I can't head remember. Five foot four and five foot ten. Shot him with her left hand. I think it was Josie. And then I'm like, why did she shoot Coop? What was he gonna find out? I mean, she and she she had like secret on top of secret herself. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. I don't know if, if they even if they ever revealed. Yeah. And so he luckily I, was wearing his his armored vest, but he pulled it up because there was a wood tick that had crawled o- onto his ribs. Yeah, and that's that. I think that was um, David Lynch addition, because if you watch that finale, he doesn't. He's not doing anything with that. <laughs> he okay. just opens the door and gets shot. Gets shot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they did. Did they explain anything with Josie? Because she was gone when season two starts, right? No. She has a lot of season two. Does she? Yeah, because she ends up in the cabinet. Her and, spirit and you... is caught inside. She gets killed, and her soul is trapped in furniture at the Great Northern. I knew that, but I didn't, I, I couldn't, I didn't, I must have skipped those episodes the first time I watched it too. The, there's a whole remember. thing about Packard really being alive and her family trying to get her back to China. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, And the yeah. Chinese okay. trying to rip off the Great Northern or the mill or something. Okay. Which something has something to do with Piper Laurie going undercover as a Japanese businessman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't get that either. But just, okay. Oh, uh, because yes, yeah, because she's not there when it's the second season starts because the mill blew up and she was there. 
And so they think she's dead they, from the mill blowing. They up. thought she died, she died in the fire. Yeah. Somebody saved Shelly. Shelly got out, but she did. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. This there's just so much, so many different threads that if you just skip an episode or two, you it's gonna be it's hard to come to catch up. I actually really love that season two first episode. In fact, I think it's one of my favorite TV episodes ever. Might be my favorite TV episode ever. And there's so many reasons I love it. One of them is that it's so slow and deliberate. It starts out in this agonizing way, right? Cooper's on the floor. He's shot. All we hear is uh, the phone call. Deputy, they are Agent Cooper, Agent Cooper. Are you okay, Agent Cooper, Agent Cooper, right? And then we have the old man, the the uh, room service guy, come and he serves Cooper his milk. He, I have some more milk for you. And he seems completely oblivious to uh, what Cooper has gone through. And that whole sequence uh, before anything happens, is like 10 minutes of TV. And you're just sitting there in agony, like, what is going on? Yeah, that oh, was by that the was way, one of those. There's a one of the things I didn't even notice until I rewatched was there's an arc to the to the waiter. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's what yeah, I that's what I was I was going to bring that up eventually after after talking about that because that opening scene where he's just going back and forth and then doing the thumbs up and that was agonizing. I I I wanted to just fast forward through all of that. Yeah, it was just killing me. Well, that actor though, he's amazing watching him do that stuff. Yes. He was just having a great time and i think i think if you see the giant or the dream sequence that's when it's the lynch episode like the dream sequences are the parts that he inserts so beautifully yeah and there's a point i think in the in the last episode where the giant flickers back and forth between the waiter and says two are one or these are the same one and the same so the waiter i guess i think of the giant as god so the waiter is sort of god's agent on earth hmm. well, he's there the in giant the isn't really here and he's he's there at the at the finale or when they find when they uh capture leland He's right. there too, right? Yeah, I love that whole sequence. Major Briggs meet... picks him up along the highway and says, This kindly man, I think. The, the yeah. thing that's the phrase you the kindly man asked me to bring him here. Yeah. And then we have at the roadhouse, right? All the the dude investigators. Like the, there's there's a few moments where all where the gang gets together. And you even got Bobby and Leo, and you've got <laughs> Ben there unwillingly. And and but they all together bring this energy that traps Leland without him knowing. Right, and we should mention cool. that it was, and we should mention that Lynch did not direct that one, but that was the culmination of all this all of this stuff, uh, and also is a springboard for Firewalk with Me when 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 we start talking about that. Well, in depth. And- Frost wrote the the dossiers, right? Right. Yeah, the dossiers. Uh, so did he do the those. secret diary? No, Jennifer Je- Lynch wrote Jennifer that. Lynch Jennifer wrote Lynch wrote Laura's did. diary. Ah, okay. 
Okay. Interesting. You know, I mean, Lynch has his his collaborators that he pulls into everything. Friends, family, right? We already talked about what a role Catherine Colson had in Eraserhead behind the scenes. And now mm -hmm. she has this amazing role in Twin Peaks throughout the entire series. Yeah. The log lady for those listening who yeah and know. when i was wondering this because my dvds let you play the log lady intros or not for each episode you can hmm. choose when did she record those because those are like after the fact right those are a dvd thing i don't know yeah she recorded the so the show was rerun on some cable channel a few years later might have been sundance channel and she recorded those for that. Uh, they were like, you know, the 30 second or one minute intros. Yeah, but they're, I, I they're, go ahead. they're this beautiful broken poetry, right? That she reads. They're like haikus. And the quality of the video is terrible. <laughs> like like they they've mass remastered and transferred the episodes and they look pretty good, but her, they didn't spend a lot of money doing those little interviews with her and her law. What so wrote they, those, by the way? Did do you, do you know who wrote the wrote those pieces? I'm guessing it's Lynch, but I don't know for sure. It sounds like him to me because they're I, good. They're, they're I've beautiful. Never seen them. Don't know. You've never seen any of them. No. Nah. You don't have the log lady intros on your on your A to Z, Z to A. Uh, I don't know if they're on there or not. Oh, I my didn't. God. I didn't. Uh, I didn't know to look for them. But oh, I, when I did my rewatch, I didn't watch the. I didn't watch them on the the Blu-rays though. So they might be on there. Google has the answer. They were written by David Lynch in 1993 for the syndicated re-airing of the series on the Bravo Network. Bravo. Yeah, they sound like him. They do. It's him talking directly to us through the log lady. And she just gives us enigmatic clues about the episode that's coming. And uh, they're definitely, they're, they're on both of my season one and season two DVD sets that I have. Cool. But you can turn them off. You don't have to watch them. They're like this tiny little thing is is uh, I think it's cool how Cooper calls her Margaret, <laughs> and so many other people call her the Log Lady. It just says so much about him and the way he approaches people. Yeah, it's just like he completely takes them as they are. Right, calling her the Log Lady like alienates her in a way. Like she's right. she's this persona as opposed to this actual individual. And That's there's this true. empathy Cooper seems to have for people who are weirdos and outsiders that. It's just like so kind of special for a character. He he fails her first test when she first meets him. Because she says, he he's like, what did the log say? And she said, act it. And he doesn't condescend to talk to the log. And she goes, I thought so. I'll, the log will have messages for you later. And she walks off. Mm -hmm. But that was the only like like he he never doesn't listen to her he just doesn't want to talk to the log i guess <laughs> and she knows the owls are not what they seem 
my wife and I still say that all the time. <laughs> owls we, are not what they see. I don't think we ever found out what the owls are. No, I well, we, think get, so. we just... get allusions to it because the we see Bob change into an owl a couple yeah. of times. Yeah. And he does look up and see the owl up, up, up there before the finale, I believe. Right. Yeah. It's, we hear well, them also it's, several it's, times. It's at the grove of sycamore trees. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Which is the doorway to the Red Room or the Black Lodge. But are, those are not sycamore trees, right? Uh, those I don't are, think I they think are. Like, yeah. I think, I sycamore know. trees are big trees with funny bark. These are like the little twigs, like in the return that he has, like talky clay heads on, and they have lightning bolts and stuff. It's it's like his idea of a tree. Now they're definitely not sycamore trees, unless they're extremely juvenile. Right. That's what I was going to say. They 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 might just be young, but young. But they're at the eternal doorway to the Black Lodge that's been there through the centuries. So that whole sequence, it, he just likes that visual look of the skinny trees around that polluted pond or pond of blood or whatever the pond is. We don't know what's it, in that. It's pond. like an oily smell. Is that? Well, the oily smell is whenever whenever Bob manifests or Mike. Yeah, I, I think that's what that is. I think that's where that is pooled. So we oh, know that that's what's in the coffee cup. Yeah. Yeah. We know that Bob is possessing Leland and has possessed others. Um and creates tulpas which I guess are evil Coop and evil Diane, who's not really evil. But um, do we ever see Mike as a person? Is there an actor who plays Mike? We know he's inside Gerard. Yeah, that's that's too much of a deep cut for me. I don't know. Because <laughs> Mike, Mike is both... Gerard and the arm who's the midget because he had a tattoo of firewalk with me on the arm so he severed the arm when he broke relations with Bob ah okay but the arm lives on as the little man right and okay. who is a tree in the return Oh, okay. I I I buy it a hundred percent. Yes, <laughs> and um, but you know, the the thing that stuck out to me in this rewatch the most was the convenience store, where the shadow men come from, and in the room at the convenience store where they're eating the Garmin Bosia. Uh, in in Firewalk with me. In Firewalk with me, there's Mrs. Chalfont and her grandson, mm -hmm. and a couple of shadow men, and the little man and Bob, and, and then Jer there's Jurgen Jürgen Prochnow. And who's he? <laughs> yeah. Why would Jurgen Prochnow show up in the corner of a dingy room and raise his hand twice? Like with, with a made, big fake beard, yeah. He made, he was. Duke Leto in Dune. 
and the star of Das Boot and all these European like like but for David Lynch he's like I'm just the guy I'm just the lumberjack in the corner that's cool <laughs> so I'm that's... guessing that's Mike because he but happened to be in Seattle one day and Lynch said hey come on over uh, that's that's probably movie. what it is yeah <laughs> here just put it put on this beard and sit in the corner <laughs> just throw you in here and then you know the 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 gas station convenience store whatever it is mm -hmm. becomes such a huge part of the return. Yeah, Kinda I wonder. Like, sorry, go on. The origin of evil is all I was going to say. Oh yeah, I wonder. In looking back on it now, uh, I, the, I mean, when Fire Walk with Me, when they when they announced that David Lynch was going to do a a, a return to Twin Peaks movie. Um, and everybody wanted, and you know, the season ends on that cliffhanger with Coop possessed by Bob or whatever, you know, not pounding his head on the mirror and busting the glass and turning around and being all creepy and shit. How's Annie? How's, How's Annie? Annie? Yeah. How's Annie? And then that's the end. And audiences were just like, what the hell? What's what's it, happened? It fucked me up for twenty five years. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I and, get out of my mind. Yeah, and and when they said they're, they're he's going to make a movie, a Twin Peaks movie, everybody was like, okay, we're going to find out what happens to Cooper. And then instead, it's a prequel that basically just fleshes out everything we heard about about Laura in the in the series, and it made me wonder. Uh, just just now, it just hit me. Maybe maybe that's the reason for that is because after stepping away from the show for so long and not really having a hand in in the day-to-day -day storytelling of it, I wonder if he decided that he just wanted to go back and stake a claim on that character that was, you know, kind of pivotal for him uh, for the future. And so that's why we get the, you know, the last days of Laura Palmer instead of what happens after. Because what happens after would still be a, co a collaboration with Frost, since they both of them, you know, are in there. But I don't think Frost had anything to do with Firewalk with me, right? That's just pure Lynch. I mean, it's definitely a movie, not a TV show, right? Right. It's hundred percent a movie, and um, no, that but that's no, that's Lynch and Ingalls. Ingalls co-wrote the screenplay for that, so so there is, I guess, it's not totally reclaiming. Well, I I think you're right, though, on 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 a a certain level because I also I was reading a review you know preparing for this week and somebody said you never Laura isn't really a character in the tv show right she's an emblem she's a symbol she's an icon but Cheryl Lee never actually gets to play Laura right it's all flashbacks or Maddie mm -hmm. so this is the chance for him to let Cheryl Lee be Laura, for us to actually meet Laura while she's alive. Yeah. And and I think that was the, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing showcase for a young actress, like not many, you know, people of relative unknown, like Cheryl Lee get a whole movie built around. Right. And, and, uh, and a brutal, brutal movie that she goes through so much. Yeah. I mean, just from scene to scene, it can be, you know, just a radical pendulum swing. Yeah. And I also know, you know, like, I don't know what the critical response was to the movie, but the public response was like, 
very much expecting what you described, Paul, and not wanting what we got. Yeah, it was it was quite negative when the movie came out. Yeah, it, it, there. Yeah, flopped, I think most critics hard. were it flopped hard. Most critic. Well, I remember I saw it with. I remember when I saw it, who I saw it with, and we walked out of there saying, uh, effectively, a this was brutal, and b this is not at all what I expected. Like this is just like, it's just it was just a really upsetting experience because it wasn't fulfilling. It was really, it just added so much more to the mystery, and yeah, we were and- already like anxious to figure out what happened after the end of of season two and then have this just piled more and more on top of it plus it stripped and it stripped out all the whimsy and all the 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 light-hearted stuff that really made the show popular that's why those extras that 90 minute extras is so much more light-hearted a lot more yeah that adds a different feel to it i was looking at it looks like on a budget of 10 million it made 4.2 at the box office in North but America. I got to say, like coming back to it recently, I got to see it in the theater and that Lynch Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, yeah, it's incredibly challenging movie experience, but just, just a sensational film in that it really is like this undiluted feeling of Lynchness to it. It's got the mystery. It's got the strange characters who you just don't know what their motivations are. And what's happening to them, it's got this, you know, all those scenes inside the uh, roadhouse with the the dancing and the pounding music and just the, you feel like you're never going to get freed from it. The the beat of that music just kind of traps you. And being in a dark theater with a bunch of strangers, having this wash over you and full Dolby sound was like this overwhelming experience. I almost felt like I was journeying to that place with them. Um, so I think I just wasn't ready for it when I saw it originally. And having this mindset now put me in a different way of appreciating it. It just it just wasn't to the expectation of that moment, right? Yeah. Lynch took a swerve that we didn't expect. But we should learn that we need to follow him in his swerves. Like, it's up to him what he does. And... I also, Jason, remember who I saw it with in our experience, and mine was the case of we, my friend and I, and we watched probably all of Twin Peaks together. Like I, it was one of my roommates in the nineties, and she turned to me and I turned to her and I said that was great, and simultaneously she said that sucked, <laughs> and we looked at each other and we never discussed it again. <laughs> because we didn't want to risk the friendship for disagreeing over uh, that movie but we were clearly she hated it and i loved it even then there's some new york times reviews one says mystery lynch's taste for brain dead grotesque has lost its novelty and another vincent canby wrote uh, it's not the worst movie ever made it just feels like it <laughs> wow <laughs> that's that's horrible Man, yeah, yeah. I I don't think I saw it in the theater. I don't think I saw this until it was released on home video. Uh, and I think at the time, I should have seen it. It might not have even played where I could see it. But ninety, it was ninety one. Was that the release date? Ninety two. Ninety two or ninety three. 
Okay. Yeah. August 28th, 92 is the American U S release. Yeah. I was in a, I was in a weird, bad place. I probably just didn't go to the movies that year. <laughs> that's, that's a whole other thing, but, um, 92 new line cinema. Yeah. So I, said, I, I missed um, it. Uh, the movie much more violent and lurid than its televised namesake was greeted with booze and cat calls after the morning press screening, but found its share of defenders too. I thought the Lynch film was a shockingly bad film, simple-minded and scornful of its audience, which could be defended only with the wheezing so bad as good routine. May 24th, 1992. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I really think that it was expectation. That it was preconceived notions of what the movie should be uh, coming off of, you know, I mean, this, I mean, this, I mean, let's face it, the show declined in viewership and popularity. So it was canceled, even though Lynch gave us a fantastic climax with so many great cliffhangers. They still just pulled it because nobody was watching. And this, and I think this was maybe, I mean, these critics who maybe, you know, were really on board with Twin Peaks when it started, were really hoping for this to salvage that and to, to recreate it and capture it and and redeem the end of the series. And he just wasn't interested in doing that yet. It would take 25 years before he got interested in doing that. Also took 25 years for the expectations to change and for the culture to be ready for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Twin Peaks, I mean, there there's a huge case to be made that Twin Peaks ushered in peak TV. It was mm -hmm. like the precursor for peak TV. Yeah. I mean, and and I, we, I forget sometimes just how huge that first season was. I mean, the fact the fact that they released, you know, Laura's secret diary, that was published and released in between seasons, and people bought that, and then were able to like try and help trying to piece together the mystery. And you know, when this bits of the diary start showing up in season two, there, you know, those are from the book. It's just, it was a phenomenon. Mm -hmm. And then once they revealed who killed Laura Palmer, they had to come up with a new question, a new mystery, and people just weren't on board with it. People, I guess people didn't really get what they were trying to do with it, which, like we said, was push the, mis the murder mystery further and further into the background and kind of just become entwined in the lives of these characters. And people were just... They weren't so much there for that. They just wanted the mystery. They wanted it solved. And uh, one thing I thought when rewatching it this time, because I think the last time that I watched it, Firewalk with me, uh, I I didn't really enjoy it. Like for a lot of the same reasons that you know we've been talking about, people just they I I was expecting something more like Twin Peaks, and it was just it was too much. And it was nothing new. And that was something that really kind of hit me watching it this time was like the there there really is narratively in the in the in the life of Twin Peaks, there's no real reason to make this movie other than just to, you know, like like you said, Sean, to showcase uh Cheryl Lee and to really let the the fans and the people who love the show 
see and witness Laura Palmer and, and get to know her and see what what that experience was like through her rather than just being told about it in bits and pieces over the series. And and again, I I I don't know if I liked it. I don't. I still don't know if I like it or not. It's just uh, it. It was. I mean, I, when it when it was over, I was just. I felt like I'd been beaten up, and I'd been brutalized. And when I saw there was another ninety minutes of those ed, other scenes, I was like, I can't do that. I I, I want to watch the other scenes, the the lost cuts or whatever, the missing pieces. Yeah. Uh, but I just couldn't do it because I was just like, I I just spent ninety minutes being you know having someone just smack me and piss on me and you know hurt me well i i do think that's the point right yeah i i i think if you look at it now i mean that opening sequence you know where the credits roll past the the static on the tv screen yeah and then the tv is smashed and then <laughs> suddenly the axe or hammer goes into the tv screen and you're like are, that's that's telling you right there. The yeah. story is dark. That's a statement dark. of the purpose. Manifesto. Yeah. And it's the manifesto. As a film noir, it may not be like right up there with Blue Velvet or even uh, Wild at Heart, but it is a Lynchian film noir, right? It's got pieces that tie it to Blue Velvet, that tie it to Mulholland Drive. Um. Donna and Laura are both the femme fatale. And Donna only pretends, right? And Laura protects her. But they take on this dangerous woman persona. But they're also, at the same time, completely victimized by their situation. Donna doesn't even know who her real father is. She's been lied to her whole life. And Laura doesn't realize that these haunting visions are because her father is her abuser and attacker. So they are, she, Laura, is dangerous, but also she, she victimizes and she's a victim. And I think Lynch wanted to, to show us, you know, just like her namesake movie from the 1950s, right? Laura, who mm. is a... Mm portrait of a dead girl that haunts the detective or so we think for most of the movie oh that's right i, I completely forgot about that connection that's her namesake she yeah. she's the traditional femme fatale but in 1992 we know that the femme fatale has her own backstory and has a reason for the things she does she's not just some crazy lady so we're getting sort of maximum empathy for maximum suffering. So like yeah. earlier I said, you know, she's the Jesus Christ figure who he suffered a lot and that's the religious level, but on the family dysfunction, drug addict, you know, everyday America level, this is the truth that's under every shiny surface. Laura is suffering because on some level, we've all been there. We've all been Loras. And I guess Lynch thought that he would make that clear and that people would empathize with her, but it took a while. Yeah. We had to come around to it. 
And yeah, it did make me empathize with her. And seeing it in the context, I think the other thing is this: the movie has trouble standing alone. It it, it feels with without the structure of the TV show, it's just harder to really appreciate what's happening there because you're just losing some of the context. Whereas the other movies you mentioned, obviously, are freestanding films, right? And what makes uh, Blue Velvet so satisfying is that everything is so perfectly contained inside that box. You have everything you need and just the right amount of mystery, right? This was uh, Fire Walk With Me. It's just a lot of mystery. And if you don't even have any context going into it, then it it really is just a, a mystery box where stuff happens and you don't have the context around it. There's a there's a, not quite enough uh, the Laura arc, so to speak, so to speak, because we don't get it spe spelled out clearly for us to really get it, uh, unless oh. we have the other pieces to put it together. And plus, we, we don't have the we don't have the 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 investigative part that really drove was the story engine for Twin Peaks. You know, because there's no investigation to be had yet. We just get that the entry, the opening, uh, where that and where there is an investigation and a, a disappearance of a, a well, not a disappearance, the murder of a girl. And that isn't resolved. You know, mm -hmm. that just freezes and fades to black. And uh, uh, what's his name? The singer, Chad Desmond, Chris Isaac. Yeah, Chris Isaac. Yeah, yeah. Then he just disappears and he's gone. And the FBI don't know where he is. He's he's disappeared. Yeah. And then we get that weird middle bit where we get our Agent Cooper and uh, David Lynch is as uh, what is his what is his character's name? Um, Arthur. No. Cole. Gordon. Gordon. Cole. Yeah. Gordon Cole. And David Bowie showing up for some reason out of nowhere. Philip Jeffries. Yes. And then and then we get that black, you know, that 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 I don't I don't know. I don't know if I guess that's not the Black Lodge. That's like he's like you said, that's that upstairs above the gas station. Sequence. Yeah, that's that's their emissary. That that's their place on Earth. It's a real place. Yeah, and but it's where the 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 shadow men come through. Right, and, but 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 that but we don't even know anything about any of that until no, twenty five years later. We don't know later. that the nuclear the nuclear yeah. testing destroyed right. reality for everyone. But, so we just well, it but we. I mean, the thing, the other thing about Fire Walk with Me is that it's got amazing Lynch dream sequences. Yeah. yeah. Like literally, Laura dreams like a lot of the movie. And those sequences are just like, they are as surreal as anything could be. Right? The painting, the photograph that she puts up on her wall, and then she finds herself in the photograph going in door after door. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the David Bowie scene, he's not even really there. Everybody's having a collective dream and only but, Gordon but he, says he knows that it's happening, but Cooper's trying to warn everybody because he feels it. He doesn't know what it is, but he feels it. But he still shows up on the video. So 
So he something so he, was there, but right? Yeah, Jeffrey was there. Yeah, and see, I think I think one of the issues that I have with the movie why why it doesn't really connect with me as much as it I, it probably should is because like with like with season two, you know, that weird detective stuff is what really clicks with me, and I wanted more of that. I wanted something, to, you know, I wanted those characters more. I wanted that that storyline, those blue rose. Uh, mysteries um which is something we didn't even mention but that blue there's a the symbol of the blue rose is like a fbi code for basically like an x-file thing yeah yeah bizarre supernatural possibly and so this is a blue a blue rose case and so i want more of that and what i got of that was really satisfying but we don't you know the finale is uh, a psychological spiritual saving rather than the physical saving of Laura. Yeah. And so that, you know, it's, it's an intellectual, I, I, I understand it and I see it and I watch it happening. And then our conclusion is her in the, the, the black lodge in the red room with Cooper and seeing the angel and, and all of that. And so she is saved. She is. She does end up transcending. She rejects the evil of putting on that ring that caused Chris Isaac to disappear in the beginning, and the and Teresa Banks to be killed. Exactly. And so it's just like I I wanted more of a through line for that. I would almost would have liked to have seen the 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 investigation of that murder as kind of a parallel to what we got in Twin Peaks too, but. I mean, I, I would, I would watch that. I would, you know, uh, and I, well, I just wanted more of that mystical detective stuff and the focusing on just the brutality and the the misery and the, the, just all the horrible shit that she goes through those last few days is just, uh, it's, it's a, it's a gut punch. Like I said, it's just, it, it's hard to watch. He really got into that abandoned train car as being like hell on earth. Like he Mm -hmm. did everything to make it as much of an apocalypse as possible. Yeah, that that was another thing that struck me. Seeing the comparison between what they were able to do with Twin Peaks, you know, what they were they you know they were only able to like show some blood on the floor or whatever in the pile of dirt with the necklace. (laughs) Yeah, a, and, a, a bloody a bloody towel that Hawk found down yeah. the road. Yeah, and there's there's no we don't know what happened in there. We just get the the <laughs> backs you know the, the being told about it eventually. We see, actually see it, and the as as yeah. that's how we, dark and scary and horrible it really was. And we didn't you know, we never really got that with the series. We got <laughs> that she was troubled and she was being abused and raped by her father even. Yeah, I can't believe they let him get away with that on TV. Uh, really, but the faces change. Oh. Yeah, that yeah, it's it's in Fire Walk with Me. We get to actually see it happening, and that's just oh, that's horrifying. That really drives home, I guess, maybe what we should have been really feeling when the series was running, but it's filtered through that TV, you know, censorship. And so we never really got a full slap in the face of what Laura went through those last days. It's all intellectualized and 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 narr- you know narrated in the TV series. 
And then here, when he did, he gets a chance to show it, he just makes it as horrible as humanly possible. Right. And man, and you know, and what's her name? Uh, we never even and I did Renette Pulaski, the second girl, the one who survived. She was in a coma through most of the first season. And I know she came out of the coma there eventually, but did, did her character ever get any other story in the, the series? Cause I, like I, said, I, I skipped she, most of it. She was in the final episode. Yeah. They brought her back for the she's final episode. waiting outside the door to help give him the. And she's Rick. wearing normal clothes and she's yeah. down to earth and they ask her to identify the smell and it's the burning oil and, and, and she reacts. Screams, yeah. And then but here we get to see her too, her character. Was it the same actress? It was. It was? Okay. Yep. So yeah, that's that's you know, that's that's another good thing that I think it does is is we get she becomes an actual character too. Uh, I I agree. Yeah, I mean she, to you a know, degree. When, when Leland asked um, Teresa, hey, let's have a three-way or four-way. Yeah. It's yeah. Laura and Ronette that she invites to party mm -hmm. with them. And when he, it's it's the exact same thing of when Audrey finds out her father is going to be her client at One-Eyed Jack. Right. Here, Leland finds out, oh, he's going to be with his daughter in pub, you know, all in front of people and he he just got he chickens out and leaves he's just like oh I, I i can't do it never mind here's the money bye but that's ronette and so they i mean they sort of go towards that train car situation thinking they're gonna have a just another night of partying and drugs mm -hmm. but and they then uh, they do for a while yeah with with jacques renault and leah mm-hmm but it gets darker and darker and darker and, and Jacques passes out and Leo flees and the girls are left with Bob. Because, I mean, I one, one of the reasons that I asked that is because uh, when did she come out of her coma in the series? Uh, she, she starts having, you know, I didn't watch, I didn't watch anything from like the last, six episodes before the finale but i did watch eight and nine and maybe ten and somewhere in there she starts waking up yeah and she's just, having visions of people coming towards her is that before have, was it before they caught leland or did she wake up like screaming when he murdered maddie was that it it might have been around that time. Because if she was awake, she and and saw Leland, she would know him. You know, she could have identified him. That's yeah. one of the things about keeping her in the coma all that time. So yeah, we don't she knows who killed her. Who killed her. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I but 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 her Maybe. memory her memory is very unreliable when she yeah. wakes up. Yeah. And uh but it, it it's around that point where she wakes up because because cooper still wants to talk to her and interview her yeah and the hospital keeps saying no right and Did i we... think there's a there's a point where jacques and shelly and ronette are all in the hospital at, at the same time maybe 
there's all uh, so many of them are in the hospital at the beginning of season two first episode yeah season yeah two. the whole the whole the, that whole the episode whole town pretty much takes, takes place in the hospital in the hospital and cooper's <laughs> bedroom and, and bobby comes to see shelly and says i'll be your doctor let's get you out of here and he doesn't take her right away but he basically needs to get her out of that hospital or else she's going to be killed so yeah. get out of there and they have that whole silly thing with how bad the hospital food is yeah <laughs> it's just this that he plays a kind of jello noise every time he sees trays the of goop they just sh show these <laughs> trays of you even have the doctor complaining about the cook I mean, it's hard. Yep. But and that's pointless. Like, what does that add to anything? But mm -hmm. it's just a little, a little Twin Peaks joke. Yep. That's yeah. So I wonder. We've done about I'm, we've done about ninety minutes on Twin Peaks, and as just like I expected, we're barely scratching the surface. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could we could do an episode by episode thing and spend an hour <laughs> talking about each episode, probably. But. I don't know. Want to wrap up then? Ninety minutes is a a lot. I gotta say, going back and rewatching, I just appreciate it much more than I did watching them one by one. The progression, the 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 characters, and like we we're saying, like Fire Walk with Me was so painful to watch, but makes so much more sense as a as a creative decision to me in context. It's still just a brutal film. And we and we haven't really mentioned it, but it's because we we kind of skipped. But he did Wild at Heart in between uh, Blue Velvet and Fire Walk with Me. Wild at Heart also had mi mixed reviews, mixed reaction too, which we'll I guess we'll talk about next time. So I I wonder if there's a trajectory there because it got I know one of the big reactions to Wild at Heart was that it was too violent and over the top uh and so is i guess after we watch that we can discuss whether or not this is a trajectory and that fire walk with me is like a, a another step down that path um as far as his, his filmmaking goes but well know if... you know we said about blue velvet right that it had a happy ending but we didn't buy it right the happy ending is is pretty self-evidently fake and nobody's problems are really solved at the end of the movie mm -hmm. but at least he sort of pays homage to it wild at heart things just getting more and more out of control right because sailor and lula they're not quite um serial killers on a rampage but they're they're a destructive couple self-destructive who are surrounded by violence throughout their journey. Uh, not least of which is her mother trying to have hire hitmen yeah. to kill Salem. Right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, but uh, yeah, that's, that's a whole, yeah, we, and we, we need to talk about that next time. Lost Highway has violence within it as well. Yeah. And murder. And a lot of film noir tropes, including crazy Robert Blake as a ghost of evil. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a theory about that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about. <laughs> and and then in 1999 we get the straight story and everything's okay. Yeah, that's one I still never seen. 
and I don't it's, know. It was a shock to me. Well, we got it. We got to do it, right? Yeah. It's yeah. We got what's well, on Disney. I mean, goodness. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he gets it out of his system with 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 Lost Highway. Maybe. Whatever was haunting him from Blue Velvet to Lost Highway. I think I might go now and watch 12 hours of YouTube videos about Twin Peaks. <laughs> <laughs> about how it's a meta narrative or how it's a, a cosmology that we're barely understanding or in some way it's about the the vastness of the universe we live in and how we only see a small piece or whatever. Well, I mean, oh it's the God. first time that he it's the first time that he's physically manifested the that evil undercurrent, that underground that we talked about with Blue Velvet. You know, it's there's a, there is an actual physical place that's hidden beneath the surface of reality that people you know, that is evil and that can just burst out at any time. So that's an interesting little that's my that's, I guess that's my final thoughts is it's it's interesting to have that he was able to actually physically manifest the subconscious or underlying evil that exists under the good of the world rather than just have it be you know physical acts of violence and characters like uh like uh De dennis hopper's character frank this is a real place evil yeah. is real in opposition to the good yeah yeah there is a conflict there's, there's a, a physical conflict which is what takes me in sort of the religious spiritual direction, especially right. for the movie. Yeah. yeah. But can, can we say Lynch's foray into TV, was it successful? Was it worth it? I, and, I have to say yes. I mean, like 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 you said, Jason, it, it can make an argument that it kicked off the, the whole idea of prestige TV, uh, it, despite what happens in the season two. I mean... I mean that first season was just that. eight eight episodes. You know that was a yeah. a miniseries basically. How many TV shows from twenty five years ago do people still talk about? That alone means it's successful, right? We're not yeah. talking about Cheers or whatever. Oh, oh, Frasier just came back. Yeah, Frasier's back. Night Court. <laughs> I mean, we Night kind of came back, but there was a new Dynasty a few years ago too. <laughs> Part of it is that it's a genre thing too, right? It's a murder mystery with supernatural. Mm -hmm. I mean, we still talk about X Files. We still talk about Star Trek. Yeah, but this, I, I still think talk this... about Space nineteen ninety nine, but I'm like the only one. <laughs> um, Fringe, you know, Paul remembers Fringe. Yeah, um, I think this. I think. I think. Yeah, you, you have to say it was. It was a success despite failing. Right. It. It. It was even. And for him, like, is it an artistic success? Was it worth his journey? I mean, he wanted. He tried other TV shows, but this was the big yeah. hit, at least for a time. I yeah, gotta say, yeah, as an aesthetic work of art, hell yeah, yeah. it succeeds. Yeah. Right. I mean, in hell, I mean, it, it lays groundwork for things, you know, that he then returns to intimately 25 years later and expands on and does uh, maybe one of the most impressive works of visual art uh, of the 21st century. 
uh, Twin Peaks The Return. I'll make that argument when we get there. <laughs> I think it's a masterpiece, despite some weird elements and some quirk that that traditional Twin Peaks quirkiness. Uh, there's just, I mean, nobody's ever done anything like it. I mean, an 18 hour movie and he directed it all himself. Yeah, directed it all. And it all ties intimately to the series that premiered 25 years earlier. Yeah. It's fantastic. But these places that that he created live for him and for us still. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the, maybe the last point I was going to make is that Cooper is is iconic. Yeah. Yeah. He created one of the great fictional, not just detectives, but characters we've seen. It's just Mm -hmm. something about him. It's just, just this person who's indelible. And just, I mean, even just that image of Laura Palmer's face uh, in the plastic is iconic and lives, you know, and I, you just see that. And people who don't know what Twin Peaks was still know what that is. Yeah, so yeah. It's, yeah. I had an argument online a few years back because you can get a Funko of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> those bobblehead dolls. Yeah. And I'm like, how tacky is that? Like Laura's dead body wrapped in plastic. You can just put on your shelf, but I get it. It's because of the, it doesn't mean you want Laura dead. It means that scene is burned in your brain. That image, that that was the image that, that they pitched. That was that when we never even talked about the, how this whole came about, but you know, that was the image that they came up that hit David Lynch was like girl, dead girl wrapped in plastic there's the show. That's our, that's what we need to do because they were going to do, that's how he and uh, Frost met was they were trying to put together a Marilyn Monroe biopic that failed because Lynch said he had this, he just had this thing about the girl in peril and it was going to be Marilyn Monroe in that story. And when that did, that failed, they came up with this, that idea, that image of the girl wrapped in plastic and just kind of snowballed. And that's the one that got them the, the TV deal. Yeah, not 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 the happy-go-lucky Marilyn from the movies, but the Marilyn who killed herself with a drug overdose. Right. The dark side of Marilyn, which we've been investigating ever since. Mm-hmm. Right? Not just because it coincided with the Kennedy murder. I thought it was hilarious that in some of his Diane recordings, he goes, you know, I'd still like to solve what happened to JFK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, Cooper, good, good, good job. Try give it a good try why not and but also focus on your own cases <laughs> and uh yeah i remember watching it you know when it was first on and that episode where he shows them the tibetan technique of discerning who they should investigate <laughs> yes by by throwing the rocks at the, the bottles rocks. yeah just i'm like i have never seen anything like that on tv before i'm like what am i watching what is this he's the he's the fbi agent and, and, he's and gonna and, he's gonna find it by a random chance game he learned from a maligned culture halfway around the world and that and that i don't know if that was before or after but i mean the whole free tibet movement you know was tied up in twin peaks he was he he talks Cooper talks repeatedly about how someday he hopes that the Chinese government will free their country and let the Dalai Lama return. 
I mean, and shit, the, you know, the Beastie Boys did a concert for for Tibet, and, right? You know, and that was all around that. Same yeah, he's time. he was on the right side of history there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and but that was just just seeing, despite the little flapstick elements, you know, Andy gets hit in the head with a rock and etc. Mm-hmm. He identifies Leo as a person of interest, and Leo is a person of interest. Yep. And Lucy's there helping reading the names. I'm going to erase this name because this is a place and not a name. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lucy, go ahead. I kind of wish they'd done more with the little letters shoved under the fingernails. Was a that was not a strong payoff to me. I no, was I mean, trying to figure out where that went, and they, you know, it's so it's spelling it's out the name. Thing. It's spelling out Robertson. Or Robert yeah. for Bob, but like he yeah. physically. Well, they so changed the... it though to Robert's son. Did they? Because Robert's son is the last name, or something. It, oh, because they... Robert's son implies the the people carrying Bob inside them, children of Bob, embodying yeah. him. Yeah. See, but but all we got was an R and a T. <laughs> yeah, we got an O. Did we get an O? That oh, okay. Was, that okay. was under that was under um, Ronette Pulaski's finger. Ah, okay. No, she had a, she had a O. I don't think well, she did. I, I think that was uh, there was one in. I don't know. I oh, maybe remember. it was Maddie. Maybe it was Maddie. Yeah, Maddie, Maddie, Laura, and uh, the Teresa. Teresa from Firewalk with me. So yeah. we got three letters. Does that mean that there are other murders out there? That could that that are does that leave it open to possible spinoffs or whatever? But yeah, I I wish there was more a better payoff for that because that was one of the most that was the freakiest part of that first episode was that reaching up underneath that fingernail so far it was just it was painful to watch to pull out that letter. Yeah, yeah, that was something you don't see on you didn't see on TV. In 1990, you know, that, go ahead. That that whole forensic scene, right? The the lights were flickering. the The guy apologized. Cooper tells him to leave the room. He goes, "My name's Frank," and he's like, "No, leave the room." Oh, okay. And it it was just like Lynch did everything he could to let you know this is not this is not um csi or whatever whatever was on tv back then this is not hill street blues that you're watching this is some other place in the great other northwest yeah which you know hill street blues mark frost (laughs) he's the co-creator well there you go it's a good reference i have a writer and executive story editor on hill street blues well i watched every episode of that too when well, I was in high school, I'd be curious to rewatch it. It was very mature, you know that that it was a it it was realistic and mature compared to other cop shows. Yeah, that was yeah. another groundbreaking groundbreaking series. And they had their talking little... about this one with uh, with me. They want us to go two hours, and then we're gonna listen to all <laughs> two hours. Good point. Yep. 